You know, we should uh, like finish quickly and then wait for the 11 o'clock crowd who thought they were coming at 10 o'clock. Uh, have a second service in about 25 minutes. Let me pray for us as we look at God's Word together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your truth in our lives, and I pray that this morning that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us truths about how we interact with one another, both in this church and particularly in our families. As we look at the differences that make up families, I pray, God, you would just reveal life to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be um, in a lot of different passages this morning, but uh, just to kind of begin things, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4.25. Guests, welcome, glad you're here. Um, However you may have arrived here, we don't believe it's by accident. We believe God in his sovereignty and his providence directed you here. Uh, We here at Fullness, we believe in worshiping, uh, holding up uh, the name of the Lord, and through the power of the Spirit, just giving Him praise and glory and honor. We believe in praying for one another, lifting one another up, being the body of Christ to one another, and we believe in the Word of God, asking that the Spirit of God would uncover the Word of God so that it would be life to each and every one of us. So we're in a series where we've been looking at uh, the family. We've been uh, examining what it means to uh, be a part of family. One of the key passages we've looked at is Ephesians 3, 14, and 15, which says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Um, We're having a little trouble getting the PowerPoint up. I did put it on the desktop, Um, opened it this morning, so it's there. Just trying to help our PowerPoint guys out who do an incredible job uh, in spite of me because uh, I don't always do things smoothly. Anyway, let's look at some truths we've examined so far in this series. Uh, we've looked at the truth that we can trust God and his word and not our own experiences and our own conscience. This is a critical factor. Second, we looked at gender was created by God But sin has distorted what God created and that we all struggle in some way with gender and our own identities. Everyone does. I know this is on the forefront of the discussion of what's going on, but uh, it's something we all need to to realize, that it has been distorted. Uh, Marriage was created by God to be between a man and a woman. Sex was created for marriage, and in order to enjoy the pleasures given to us by God, we must follow his plan, and we all at some level have to be willing to sacrifice in order to receive the greatest pleasure of being in his presence. At his right hand, there's fullness of joy. In his presence, we receive pleasures evermore. It's in his presence that pleasure is fully, fully, and completely realized. Those are some things we've looked about uh, at over the past five or six weeks. And today, uh, I'm, I want to talk to us about conflict. I called it the modern conflict, but really conflict is, is really, really old. Uh, I knew I was preaching on conflict this week, and so I tried to 
you know, make sure my relationships were in order. Uh, I basically tried to stay away from my family all week, um, trying to make sure things didn't go off the rails too far. As we examine the modern family, we cannot get far away from the issue of conflict. Conflict is a part of family life. Many of us try to manage our lives in a way in which we avoid all conflict. We're going to see today that conflict is inevitable. It's not if we have conflict, but rather how we handle conflict that makes all the difference. Imagine for me for a second this family. It's a blended family. Children from several different units have come together as a part of a family. The father um, is a good man, basically, but uh, at some point he commits adultery, has a child out of wedlock. In order to cover up the uh, affair, he, try, he has the original husband murdered. Uh, later, in, later in the story, uh, one of his sons falls in love with his half-sister uh, when she kind of gives him, like, not the go-ahead, but they have dinner together, and then she sexual, he sexually assaults her. Then he gets angry with her and won't have anything to do with her. The father does nothing to resolve the situation, doesn't take any action at all to kind of handle the son that's committed sexual assault. He ignores it like it's going to go away. The full brother of the half-sister gets offended. He plots against the brother who sexually assaulted the sister, eventually having him killed. As a result, the full brother has to run away from the family because he's afraid of the father, what the father might do. Uh, It's a big family business, and he's got to get out of town really quick. Eventually, a couple of years later, he's able to come back in town, but he's never really fully engaged with the family. The relationships are never really restored. Ultimately, he uh, tries to steal the family business from his father and is killed by the father's people. Wonderful story of love and acceptance and I mean, it's horrible all the way through. At every level, you can't find really any good part of this story. And yet, the father is called a man after God's own heart. Because of his refusal to handle conflict in his own life, conflict in his family, a son that he loves dearly is taken from him. Hates him, really doesn't respect him. What a mess. You know, the Bible does not pull any punches when it comes to talking about the messes of our lives. I don't know if you know this, but there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Just thought I'd throw that fun. I have those all in my head all the time. I know I had to look it up. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. It's been said that the first two have no conflict and the last two have no conflict. That leaves 1,185 chapters in the Bible to talk about conflict. A lot of conflict goes on. My point is this. Godly people have conflict. All of us have conflict. It says in the book of Ephesians this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood 
and speak truthfully to his neighbor. This is actually, I've got the wrong reference. This is actually chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. How do we handle conflict? How do we manage anger, so to speak? How do we deal with things in a godly way that builds up our lives? Let's look at conflict this morning. The first point is this. Conflict is certain. Conflict is inevitable. If you came this morning hoping for a sermon that would help you avoid conflict, you're in the wrong place. Really, you're in the wrong world. You're in the wrong life. It's, it's inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict is not a bad term. I mean, conflict is not evil. There are some steps that go beyond conflict, such as anger and the things we do that manage our conflict badly, that take conflict to a whole different place. Conflict defined is this, two people trying to occupy the same space. Two people trying to occupy the same space. And if you and another person live in a home, at some point you're going to try and occupy the same space. So conflict is going to happen. The family environment is really a crucible for conflict. Families are more than just groups of people who, sit, who share the same genes or the same address. But because they do share those, conflict is going to happen. I've discovered in my own family that some of the greatest conflicts happen between the people who are most alike. Why? Because they're trying to occupy the same space more than the other ones who are different. Conflict is a necessary part of life. Jim Van Yeprin says this, Through conflict, we know our need, acknowledge sin, recognize truth, and test our faith. Well, wait a minute. Looks like conflict is all about what it's going to do to me. Yes, that's part of the point. Conflict helps reveal what's in your own heart. It's going to help grow you. It's going to help you overcome. The narrative of our faith requires conflict. By it, we learn and grow Only by trusting God through pain, uncertainty, and opposition do we prove his will, demonstrate his power. Spiritual leadership means making decisions that both cause and resolve conflict. Again, conflict is not inherently bad. However, working through a disagreement is not necessarily fun either. But experience shows us that When we honestly talk about things, when we deal with conflict in a healthy way, it builds us up and leads us to a better understanding of the people around us. There is a difference between conflict and quarrels, by the way, in the Bible. It says in Timothy 2.24, 2 Timothy, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You can have conflict without it becoming quarreling. Most of the time when we think of conflict, it leads to anger and quarreling, and that's why it's got all the negative connotations that it has for us. Also says in Romans 12, 18, one of my favorite passages, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What's inherent in that passage? Sometimes resolution of conflict, it's out of your hands. 
It, it, you may be trying to work hard to resolve the conflict as much as it depends on you work at resolving conflict. But there are some people who don't want conflict resolved. They don't want things taken care of. No matter what you do, they're not going to receive your apology or for forgiveness or work on an issue with you. But let's begin by viewing conflict as a means of discovering growth and not just a victory to be won. I've listed some causes of conflict. For those of you who've been through premarital counseling with me or me and Cheryl, and you know this is some of this material is from that, uh, but it's a good reminder for all of us. But here are some of the common causes of conflict. Uh, fear. Hurts from the past. Fear of change. I always tell the same old story whenever we get to this point in premarital counseling. I won't repeat it here. Uh, but hurts from the past cause us to have fears in the present. And many times we don't even know that a word or a symbol or a sign may bring up those fears from the past, those hurts from the past. The next thing you know, you've walked into a conflict you had no idea about. You said good morning, and the next thing you know, there's a conflict that occurred. Why? Because something was raised, some hurt from the past has raised some fear. And that's why we need to work through our conflicts because it many times will expose the fears of our lives. Needs, different needs, cause conflict. Different people have different needs. We had a snow day on Thursday. Ice day, snow day, no snow, snow day, whatever. A rainy day, and we canceled schools. Anyway, at our house, <laughs> at our house, it's like this. Yes, we don't have to go to school today. Yes, I don't have to go to work today. So, my need was to read. I just need to read. I need to chill. I need to read. Kathy's need was, yes, a day to organize, clean, redo the house. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what all went on. Our, our needs were conflicting in our house. I, I won't tell you who, who won, but because uh, it's not a victory to be won. It's just a difference. We all have different needs that are expressed. And when that happens, conflict Conflict has occurs. We have different passions. I mean, let's just call it. We sin. Sin causes conflict, and we need to be aware of it. Selfishness. Again, we've talked about this in the past. It says in James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. His basic idea there is that quarrels and fights, conflict happens because we are selfish. We're trying to occupy space that somebody else has, but we want it more. Issues cause conflicts. Difference in decisions, value differences, beliefs that are challenged. I would put uh, finances under this category. Um, We think of finances many times in our families in different ways, issues that have to be raised, church, faith, raising children, jobs. All the issues that surround life cause different conflicts. Behavioral patterns, how we act and react. Again, this is not a premarital counseling appointment, but we all have different families of origin. 
when we get married, we come from these different patterns, behavioral patterns. My family acted in a certain way. Kathy's family acted in a totally different way. Uh, for instance, um, I came from a family where um, my, my mom and dad were pretty soft-spoken generally. Um, yelling was not permitted at any level. Um, even in anger, there was no yelling that took place in my house. Kathy came from an Irish Catholic family where yelling was just a normal form of com- communication. Everybody yelled. Everybody yelled all the time. And it wasn't in anger. It wasn't conflict. You couldn't tell the difference. From, from my background, I, couldn't, I thought everybody was mad all the time because they all yelled. They were just loud. They were boisterous. So you can imagine, we come into this setting, it's just behavioral patterns. You come from different families of origin, and when you come together and try to blend this together, you're like, is someone mad? Is someone angry? Now, we've adopted both in our house. I'm not going down the stairs to get my daughters every time. I'm yelling down the stairs for them to come up. Behavioral patterns are a cause of conflict. Communication. Styles of communication, lack of skills in communication, create conflict. This is a whole different lesson on its own. We'll do this again uh, coming up this summer. We'll talk about communication. Assumptions, assuming that we know the, uh, what the other person thinks. What an incredible source of conflict. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know where we're going with this discussion. I know, I know. These assumptions, they, you know. Um, they kill us. Lack of trust or respect. Misunderstanding of roles and responsibilities. Um, you, it's really incredible to me how many couples, because of a combination of these different things. I mean, if you combine, uh, let's say, behavioral patterns with lack of communication and roles and responsibilities, you could have a mess in no time. I mean, what if... What if, imagine that you came from, um, you came from a family where um, the dad always handled all the finances. So you come into a situation, a marriage, where the dad always handled the finances. Well, let's say that in this marriage, the woman is actually much better with numbers. She's better with finances. So now she's like, I want to take the finances. The guy is like, no, men's, that's the men's job to take the finances because he came from a pattern of behavior that says, I take the, the men do the finances. And now they're, they've got behavioral issues. They've got roles and responsibilities. They've got finances. All of these things are on the table and causing conflict. And it becomes a challenge to weave your way through. It will take discussions. And then the next thing you know, they're assuming the worst about each other. Well, he doesn't think I can do the finances. He just assumes I'm an idiot. I mean, you understand how things quickly escalate. And we have, a, we have an enemy who is against us, who does not fight fair in any way. He's always accusing, always bringing up our problems, always trying to make us get to the worst possible place. That's his job description. He's the accuser. So he accuses within, within marriage. Conflict's going to happen. Again, it's not what, whether we can avoid conflict or not, it's what we do with it. Second, conflict can be contagious. 
Proverbs 15, 18 says this, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. I mean, you, you understand how, and I'm sure you've seen it in your own settings. If not, just come over to my house and we'll show it to you, how conflict quickly escalates. And people get drawn into battles. In a family of seven, like mine, when things start to happen, sides are quickly drawn if you're not careful. If you don't deal with conflict in a way that's healthy, it becomes contagious and everybody gets involved. Conflict always has consequences. The story I told you at the beginning of the sermon about David having an affair and not handling really in a healthy way his own desires and passions, Um, then his son uh, Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar, then shuns her. Absalom takes offense because Tamar is his full sister, and he takes offense at what Amnon's done, which he should have. I mean, it's an It's a terrible offense. David doesn't handle the offense as he should have. So Absalom, the brother, feels like he needs to bring retribution on his half-brother. He eventually has him murdered. It leads to Absalom then having to flee for a period of time. When he comes back, he's not really restored to his relationship with David, who should have taken control of the situation from the start. I mean, he is the king, dadgummit. I mean, really, he should have done something, but he can't even handle and manage his own family. So Absalom sits at the city gates. He has no respect for his father. He steals the hearts of the people away, eventually leads them into a rebellion. David, only by the mercy of God, retains the kingdom because Absalom's stolen the hearts of the people by now. Absalom, you know the story, gets his hair caught in a tree riding a horse, and one of David's men kills him. And then at that point, it's, it's when David is really broken. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, if I could have just, if it could have been me, if I could have died on your behalf. I mean, think about it. This conflict escalates to eventually a civil war because it's not handled when it should have been handled. Sometimes you're in the middle of a war that could have been taken care of if you would have handled the conflict early on. Conflict is contagious. It is like a fire if you don't deal with it. Dr. Joseph Tucker says this, the number one health problem of the United States of America and the world is not AIDS, drugs, gun violence, cancer, heart disease, etc. It is the chronic enmity of persons and groups toward each other. I mean, we don't really have to look far to see how conflict especially undealt with conflict, has devastating consequences. So it leads me to the third point, which is where I really want us to look, and this this conflict can be conquered. I think you understand we're all involved in conflict, and conflict is contagious, uncontained, or undealt with. It can be a terrible thing. People handle conflict in different ways. They withdraw They try and overpower and win. They ignore. They try and smooth over. They compromise. They confront. Larry Crabb, in his book, The Safest Place on Earth, says, the difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but it is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. 
When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of spiritual community. Now, I'm talking about conflict in the, in the family environment, but really, conflict happens in church, it happens in business, it happens all around us. So how do we handle conflict? And let me say, I've got a whole list of ways not to handle conflict. I mean, there have been times in my life where I remember the story of Napoleon... Uh, advancing on Russia, what the Russians did as Napoleon kind of defeated them. He burned the whole village. They burned the village down so Napoleon would have nothing left. There's that scorched earth policy. Not a really good way to handle conflict. There's the philosophy, okay, I'm in this doghouse. The best way for me to get out of this doghouse is get somebody else in the doghouse. That way I'll be out. So you sell somebody else out to get them in so you can get out. Not, it's not a healthy way to handle conflict. I thought that would go over funnier, but it didn't really. Because you're thinking, wow, he really is conniving, isn't he? All right, I, I, I want to help you. So before I help you um, discover ways to handle conflict, I, I'd like to give you some things not to say in the middle of a conflict. Things not to, when you're in your, an argument with your spouse, and having a discussion with them, I put together a list, and it's really too long for me to read all the things on the list that I've either said, done, been a part of, or been in counseling sessions with. Almost all of these are true in some way or form. Okay, things not to say to your spouse during an argument. Just relax. Or, why are you so mad? Or, anything that might say, you are so cute when you get mad. It's not going to be helpful. Now, these aren't, you can figure out who's saying these, the man or the woman, I think, pretty quickly. Um, You're acting crazy. It's not going to be helpful. Or um, stop, wait, the game is back on. Can we wait till halftime to finish this? I don't know, I don't understand what the big deal is. This is all in your head. This is just like that time five years ago when. Did you listen to the sermon on Sunday? I love you. I'm going to keep reading these. Some will get a little more personal for some. We are not having sex tonight. You're such a blank. Just fill in the blank whatever it might be. You knew I was this way when you married me. You didn't used to be like this. My mother warned me about this. Hey, let me just say this. Never bring your parents into the discussion. You're just like your mother. Well, my dad can beat up your dad. Oh, wait, wait that's, that's middle school. Uh, this is all your fault. Is it that time of month or anything about PMS or a period or anything like that? Don't ever bring it up. Don't ever bring it up. It will do you no good. Trust, trust me on this one. Are we done here? Well, it's up to you. 
I give up. Who are we both kidding? That thing ain't loaded. Just thought I'd throw that one in. Uh, I am fine. Or here's my final one. If you could just be more like Kathy's husband. Don't, don't bring that one up either. Let me give you some practical guidelines for having a good fight. Matthew 18 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Jesus thinks it's a big enough deal that you should take care of conflict immediately. So much, though, that he says, hey, if you're offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you've gone to church and you're at worship and you remember that your brother had something against you, go and take care of it. I mean, in the first passage, he's talking about if you remember you've sinned against your brother, handle it. And in this, if you know, either way, it's working. Take care of it. Handle it. So here's some, I've put together a, an acrostic of fights. This is, I've seen these before, and I borrowed some and reworked it and, uh, for us. But the first thing is this. Face, face the problem and the person. Ignoring conflict generally doesn't make it go away. Don't, don't make up a problem if there's not one, but if there is a problem between you and go to another, talk with that person. Face the problem. And, and honestly, the best way to handle this is face-to-face. Uh, I've been guilty of this even in recent weeks. You cannot handle conflict over a text message. It doesn't work. You read into them. It, you, it, it just won't work. Um, even the phone is not your best option. It's better to do it face-to-face because you get to, to see the person. Next, ignore the temptation to get sidetracked. Ignore the temptation to get sidetracked. For those, again, who have been through premarital counseling with us, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about is defining the problem and elevating the problem. Uh, Those sound like, I know, psychological terms, but basically it means this. Stick to the stinking problem. Here's what happens with the problem. Let's say I'm having a problem with Annalise here, who's going to turn 17 tomorrow. Um, So I'm having a problem with Annalise, which we never do at our house, but this is just for pretend. So we have a problem. And the problem is between us here, so we're starting to talk about this problem. Well, the next thing you know, if the problem is down here, and we're talking, the next thing you know, the discussion starts talking rather than about the problem, the the discussion translates to you. Well, let's say that, um, I'm trying to make up a problem that we don't actually have here, Annalise. Let's say that we have a, a financial problem. Annalise and I do. So we start talking about the finances. The next thing you know, we're talking like, well, you know what the problem is? You, you spend too much. You see how the discussion quickly changed? It went from the finances to you. You're the problem. You spend too much. Well, then she's coming. Well, you don't make enough. You should make more money. Or you appropriate your money in a wrong way. And now it becomes a battle. Now it becomes nobody's going to be listening anymore because it's about you, you and me, you and me, you, you, you. Instead, if you can stick to the problem, don't get sidetracked, elevate the problem, lift it up and keep talking about the problem rather than about you. Now, now I understand sometimes you are the problem. 
I mean, there is some times where we have to discuss shortcomings and failures in our life, but let's talk about, at first, the problem. uh, Third is this, guard your tongue. I just read you that list, and it probably wasn't as funny as I meant it for it to be because it, it does hit home for all of us. I mean, we find ourselves saying things like that. Guard your tongue. Name-calling, accusing, attacking is not going to help get to the place where you want to be. It'll just make the problem worse. Again, the devil is the accuser. Don't join in with him by then becoming an accuser, which is where we get many times. So guard your tongue. This is a really big one. History belongs in the past. History belongs in the past. Don't rehearse the list of wrongs that have been done over the years. Well, five years ago, this reminds me of that. Um, Love, what? Keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Some of us have lists we need to unload. Now, I understand that for many of us, we have incredible hurts. I mean, some really horrible things have happened. But it won't, it's not going to help you to keep that past and keep rehearsing it over and over and over again in your present. The Word of God makes it clear about forgiveness. God forgives us and separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. If God can forget, which he can't, but if he puts them aside as a matter of choice, he calls on us to do the same thing. Do not keep a record of wrongs. The only thing you want to rehearse are the victories. Those kind of things, the the times where you've overcome. History belongs in the past. Listen, so far, I don't know if you're, you're seeing, but if you want to have a bad fight, just violate all of these. Things will escalate. Things will get out of hand. It won't be helpful. The conflict won't be resolved. This is a major one, too. Take responsibility for your actions. Don't blame or shift responsibilities or excuse your actions. You can look to the person to your right and to your left and in your mirror. We are all defensive. We're all defensive. And so when we feel like the weight is coming on us, our first response is to shift the blame to the other person. And, and we fall in ditches on, in this. And I can't remember where we heard it the first time, um, but um, really Cheryl's the one who brought it to our staff and has said it over and over and over again, is this, um, your sin doesn't make my sin not sin. Are you with me? Your sin doesn't make my sin not sin. Uh, too often, too often, we blame our sin on the sin of the other person. Well, I would have never said that if they hadn't done this. Hello? I mean, you found yourself. You, you know what? You made me do this. No, they didn't. They didn't make you act like that. You allowed yourself to act like that. And when you do, take responsibility for your, for your actions. We are in many ways not acting like grown-ups. We're acting like children who are always blaming Always. I, I just saw a movie called Boyhood. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Boyhood. Again, I do not recommend movies. It's, the, it's that movie that they filmed over 12 years from first grade through 12th grade. Um, 
I mean, 12 years they filmed. Same boy, same cast. It's kind of an intriguing way to do a movie. But it made me laugh at one scene because it reminded me of my house so much. Because the, the, the sister comes, it goes into the bedroom, wakes up her brother, throws a pillow at him, starts singing uh, some Britney Spears song. Oops, I did it again or something like that. Starts singing and dancing and throwing stuff at the brother. He's trying to sleep in bed. He's only like seven or eight. And, and uh, he just finally gets so frustrated, he throws a pillow back at her. And then the mom opens the door to yell at both of them. And the, do- and the girl says, hey, he threw stuff at me. You know, that kind of, uh, then the boy gets in trouble because his sister's now crying, which is always the way it happened at home. Listen, the point being this, take responsibility for your own actions. Take responsibility. It'll break down barriers. By the way, let me just share with you a thing that also doesn't work, and that's just saying I'm sorry to try and end the argument, the discussion. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. When you don't mean it at all. Maybe I can shut this whole thing down. There are too many words going on here. This is a guy technique. There are too many things going on here. I can't stand any more words. Maybe if I just ask, say I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness, so we can shut this whole thing down and move on. Won't work. Doesn't work. Does not resolve the conflict. I'm talking about honestly taking responsibility for your actions. And stay in there until you come up with a solution. Stay in there until you come up with a solution. The Bible says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger or on your wrath. But it doesn't say resolve every issue before you go to bed. Um, When Kathy and I first got married, we took the instruction of um, don't let the sun go down on your anger, meaning we had to resolve every issue before we went to bed. Oh, my Lord, is that tiring and impossible. Because sometimes it just takes time to actually work through an issue. Plus, if, if you know me, after like 10 o'clock, I disintegrate. I mean, my, I, I just don't operate well after like 10 o'clock at night. And so I'm much more prone to say things I shouldn't say or for, for me to lose my um, incredibly godly attitude after 10 o'clock than I am before. And so we still had to start setting up boundaries, okay? Unless it's an emergency, we're not having major discussions after 10 o'clock at night. It was healthy for us. It's healthy for me anyway to, to, to limit things. Now, but we didn't go to bed angry. You, you understand the difference? Okay, I, let's make sure everything's good between us, that we're not angry. Let's pray through this. We don't re- have a resolution to this. We'll come back tomorrow or the next day or over time to resolve it. There's a difference. But stay in there until you've Figure out a way to resolve the conflict. Brainstorm, come up with a solution, try it, implement it, get it done, and see what what happens. Conflict is certain. Conflict is contagious, but conflict can be overcome. You have the greatest weapon in your arsenal Uh, for overcoming conflict than you can ever imagine, and that's the personal work of the Holy Spirit. If I am a Christian and my wife is a Christian, which I know she is, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit, then we both have the Spirit of God indwelling us, right? Hello, stay with me. I'm going to go back and do this whole sermon again if we don't. We both have the Spirit of God indwelling us, and if we do, 
and we both turn to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth who is in us, and pray, then conceivably we should be able to resolve any conflict if we submit ourselves to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, as we close, I'm going to tell you one final story that you know well, just as an illustration of what happens in conflict. Remember the story of Paul and Barnabas? Paul and Barnabas uh, leave Antioch to go on the first missionary journey. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take my relative, John Mark, with us. He's a good young man. Let's train him. Let's see what happens. Let's take him with us. Paul and Barnabas take off on this missionary journey. They go on the journey. Not too far out, John Mark, who's a young guy, gets homesick, basically, and says, hey, um, I'm going home. So he leaves and goes back home. Paul and Barnabas go. They establish some churches. They do some work. They come back to Antioch. I mean, these guys have been really close. Barnabas, is his name means son of encouragement. He's the one who actually went and got Paul and brought him and introduced him to the apostles in Jerusalem. I mean, he's advocated for Paul. He stood on his behalf. He's, he's helped him. I mean, he, his role is kind of a background guy. He's not so much the, the public speaker, the face of the organization, but he's invaluable. They get ready to go on a missionary trip again. Second time, they're going to go out. Let's go again. I said, great. Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us again. I think he's grown up some. I'm kind of imagining here. I think he's grown up. Let's try him again. Paul says, no, burn me once. Not, not happening a second time. Paul, the guy who writes about grace and truth. No, not happening. We're not taking him. I mean, this conflict, they can't work it out. Barnabas says, I really believe God is in this. I don't know what they said, but they can't work out. So Barnabas takes John Mark on a trip. And it's very you know, hardly ever heard of again, Barnabas is. Paul picks up Silas. They go on a missionary journey. You look at the story, it seems so tragic, doesn't it? Two guys, really strong, both godly men. Unbelievable. I mean, I mean, it's Paul. Barnabas can't resolve this conflict over what to do with John Mark. Now, Paul never speaks badly of Barnabas. I mean, we don't see anything in his writings. As a matter of fact, at one point he says, after they've split up, talking about being cared for, and he says, is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? I mean, he's, he still sees Barnabas as a, as a friend and a colleague and a co-worker. But it's also not the end of the story for Mark. Uh, later in Philemon t- verse 24, you see this. Paul, writing, says sending some greetings, he says, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Well, somehow Mark comes back in the picture. We're not really sure, but somehow Mark ends up back with Paul, helping him. In Colossians 4, he is even recommended to the church by Paul. He says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, so does Mark, The cousin of Barnabas, in case you're ever wondering, is it the same Mark? He clarifies it, absolutely. 
He says, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then in 2 Timothy 4, it gets to the point where Paul is even asking for Mark. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. You have this story that looks like it has a tragic ending with Barnabas and Mark going off because Paul doesn't want to take Mark. But Barnabas and it, it, somehow these godly people get things resolved. We don't know what took up behind the scenes, how Mark came back in the picture. But it happened to the point that Paul is even asking for Mark. Mark's circle, also his sphere, doesn't just include Barnabas and Paul. In 1 Peter, it says this, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Mark's called Peter's son. As a matter of fact, tradition holds that Peter told Mark the stories of his time with Jesus and that it is Peter's eyewitness account to Mark that becomes the earliest written gospel, the gospel of Mark. Mark goes on to be one of the leaders in the church. Um, He's eventually, according to tradition, he's a bishop. He's martyred. Uh, His bones are buried in Venice, supposedly Italy, in a cathedral called St. Mark's. Here's the point. There is a call to resolve conflict. Now, in the short term, it may look like it's not getting taken care of. But if we hang in there, if we love each other as we're supposed to love each other, both in the context of the family and within the church, it can be resolved. Is there anyone who had any more reason to have conflict in his family than Joseph? I mean... He was the source of many of the conflicts by sharing his dreams, bragging to his brothers, eventually gets sold into slavery. You know the story. His brothers, when they finally come, he said, listen, it may have been meant for evil, but God meant it for good. I think conflict can be meant for good in our lives if we handle it in a way that is appropriate. This morning, you may be here and you're thinking, Or know that you're having conflict with someone. Particularly someone within your family. Maybe particularly with your husband or your wife. I want to encourage you guys to come together. To pray. To seek after God. Talk about what what is the conflict here. What is the problem? What would God have us do? Not how can I get my needs met? How can I win? But what would God have us do in this circumstance, in this situation, in order to overcome? This may be one of the most practical sermons I'm going to preach. Because if there's one thing I know, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict over and over and over and over again till the day you die. How you overcome it will make the difference between the joy of your family and life and circumstance and situation or just having a miserable existence. I'm going to go for joy. And I hope you will too. God has brought us together as a family of faith as well. There may be someone in, even in the church you know you're in conflict with. Take care of it. Deal with it. 
talk with them. Pray through it. At whatever level God is leading you. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that today you would show us by your grace and might and power how to deal with conflict in a way that brings your name glory. At the same time, exposes the sin of our lives, makes us stronger in you. Lord, that things are dealt with in a way that the gospel, good news, goes forth. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us where when people who aren't followers of Jesus Christ look at us, they don't see the love we have one for another. Instead, what they see is the conflict we have with one another because it's not being dealt with in a way that brings you glory. So, Spirit of God, Spirit of truth, I pray you'd move among us. Move in our families, move in our marriages, move in our relationships between our uh, fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, as well as in this body. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray that as God gives you wisdom through the afternoon, through the day, that... um, Maybe you'll need to call someone. Look, my phone will be really busy today, so I was just kidding. Um, but call someone. Deal with the conflicts in your life that you need to, um, to handle and get, get resolved. We're going to take a...